0: Hi there, and welcome to The Briefing Room on this Friday afternoon. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein, joined here by Catherine Falders from our White House reporting unit. Uh, a lot of news to, to get to today, some breaking news out of Venezuela, some big threats from the president regarding the U.S.-Mexico border. But first, on this week that has been dominated by questions about when we're going to learn more about Robert Mueller, we finally <laughs> got some answers about the timeline from here, a letter FROM ATTORNEY GENERAL BOB BARR TO THE TOP DEMOCRATS AND REPUBLICANS ON on CAPITOL HILL THAT STARTS TO LAY OUT THE TIMELINE. HE IS SAYING MID-APRIL IF NOT SOONER uh, these 400 pages or so will get to the public. What are the other takeaways, Catherine, and what we're hearing he, from Barr? Yeah, so this is
1: the first time we're hearing from Barr since we heard from him on Sunday when he released that four-page summary of the principal conclusions of Mueller's report. Uh, and this is the first time he says on the record in a letter to Congress that it's almost 400 pages, but he says they're well along in the process of redacting the, the report, what, what can't be made public, that classified information. He says we should have it by mid-April, if not sooner. Uh, two big takeaways, though, from his letter is he said there are no plans to submit this report to the White House for an executive privilege review. So they don't get to look at it first. They don't get to look at it first. Um, You know, there could be privileged information in it. There may need to be discussions about certain portions of it. But he makes very clear there are no plans to deliver the full report. And the other takeaway from this, there's been a lot of talk about Barr going up to the Hill to testify. Nadler wants him up there. Lindsey Graham wants him up there. He says Quote, I believe it would be appropriate for me to testify on behalf of the department shortly after the report is public. So we will see him up there on the Hill.
0: And one other intriguing thing in the letter, he says he did not intend for his uh, four-page synopsis of the main talking points to be a summary of everything. He right. says that was just the bottom line that I was trying to inform Congress about. It was not a summary.
1: Exactly. And sources I've been talking to have been emphasizing that same thing. This Barr is saying that this that he wrote is not a summary of the full Mueller report. He says this was just the principal conclusions. He says that there's some media reporting and and even some noise from Democrats on the Hill who are taking this out of context a little bit. So he clarified that.
0: And some clear lines from the attorney general that we will know more rather than less and maybe sooner rather than later about what's in the Mueller report. Uh, Moving on, the president issuing a very stark threat and meanwhile his homeland security secretary is warning of a system-wide meltdown a system-wide meltdown and appeal to Congress. But let's take a look at what the president is saying about the U.S.-Mexico border a little bit earlier in Florida.
2: So Mexico's tough. They can stop them, but they chose not to. Now they're gonna stop them. And if they don't stop them, we're closing the border. They'll close it, and we'll, we'll keep it closed for a long time. I'm not playing games. Border Patrol's so incredible. But there's a point at which you can't stop them anymore. We have no detention space, no nothing.
0: So, you hear there the president saying he could be shutting down the border as soon as next week, also saying it could last a while. We want to get right now to Senator Ron Johnson, who's the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, joining us by phone. Senator, thanks for being here. And in your view, does the crisis at the border, as outlined by the administration, does that warrant closing the border with Mexico?
2: Well, I'm not sure exactly what the president means or how he would do it. But no, we are absolutely in crisis mode. I heard. uh, FORMER DHS SECRETARY JAY JOHNSON UNDER PRESIDENT OBAMA ON TV EARLIER THIS MORNING SAYING A BAD DAY FOR HIM WAS WHEN WE HAD a 1,000 PEOPLE COME TO THIS COUNTRY ILLEGALLY BEING APPREHENDED. LAST COUPLE OF WEEKS WE'VE SEEN DAYS OF OVER 4,000. SO THIS IS A HUMANITARIAN CRISIS. AND BECAUSE OF THE LOOPHOLES, BECAUSE OF THE STRUCTURE OF SOME OF OUR LAWS, uh, WE IN EFFECT HAVE VIRTUALLY OPEN BORDERS FOR unaccompanied CHILDREN, and people coming in as family units. And through no fault of their own, our border security uh, apparatus is it's a mere speed bump for these open borders on, on the path of these individuals to long term occupancy in this country. This is a full blown crisis. And let me give you just some other numbers. In 2014, President Obama claimed it was a humanitarian crisis when 120,000 people came to this country illegally, as either unaccompanied children or as part of a family unit. LAST YEAR, THAT NUMBER WAS 169,000. IN THE FIRST SIX MONTHS OF THIS YEAR, WE'RE ALREADY OVER 200,000. PRIMARILY PEOPLE COMING IN AS FAMILY UNITS FROM CENTRAL AMERICA. AND ONCE THEY SET FOOT ON AMERICA, THEY CLAIM ASYLUM AND THEY GET APPREHENDED, THEY GET PROCESSED, THEY GET dispersed THROUGHOUT AMERICA AND THEY STAY. AND THEY STAY LONG-TERM. THIS IS A CRISIS AND uh, IT IS OVERWHELMING THE SYSTEM. CBP SIMPLY DOESN'T HAVE THE FACILITIES OR THE PERSONNEL to handle so many families and so many children.
0: So, the president, as you know, has declared that national emergency. It's been some item of controversy, but it is in place because the, the veto uh, was not overridden by, uh, by you and your colleagues on Capitol Hill. But get back to the mechanics of this. The president says seal the border. You're a business guy. Uh, you know how important Mexico is as a trading partner. The Mexican government is saying they are not going to close down the border. So, should the United States government do it? And are you worried about what that means for the broader economy, leaving aside the situation at the border?
2: Again, what I'm recommending is we change our laws so we stop incentivizing and rewarding. Our policy should be to reduce the flow of unaccompanied children and people coming to this country as family units. It's out of control, it's growing almost exponentially. And so, listen, I think what you're hearing out of the president is just the frustration of trying to deal with this problem for a couple of years. The left, Democrats, saying this is a manufactured crisis. It's not. I wish some of these Democrat senators would go on the border and put them in, in, in charge of, make them be responsible for trying to grapple with 4,000 people a day coming across this border illegally. You know, we, we talked about caravans, two to three or 4,000 people caravans. We're getting a caravan sized group of people daily coming across the border. They're coming across sick. We need to protect them. We're providing uh, medical care. We're having to surge resources and personnel from other areas, which is taking our eye off the ball of potentially of drug interdiction. This is a full-blown crisis, and as a nation, we need to respond to it.
1: Senator, it's Catherine Falters here. In, the, in a letter that uh, Secretary Nielsen sent to Congress yesterday, she called this a, quote, dire situation at the border, and she wants a new authority to immediately deport undocumented minors back to their home countries. She says we face a system-wide meltdown. Do you think that's a, a little bit of a bold ask from Congress, since many people are unsure if this humanitarian crisis constitutes a national emergency?
2: No, it's exactly what we have to do. There has to be a consequence because what is feeling this right now is the reality that as an uncomfortable child or part of a family group, once you're in America, you get to stay. So what does that tell other people that want to flee Central America? It tells them to come. Michael Chertoff faced a similar situation, not even close to the magnitude, but we had Brazilians in two thousand five getting in Mexico visa free, then come to this country illegally. About thirty one thousand he realized there was a problem, so he set up a process of expedited removal, and he returned them immediately to Brazil. The following year, only 1,400 people showed up. Even President Obama in 2014 be- began detaining family units, and it dropped the flow. It reduced it dramatically, but then he was taken to court, and the Flores agreement was interpreted as a- applying to a company shown as well, and that is what has really sparked this exponential Progression or or growth in the in the size of the problem. This is completely out of control, and people are anybody who says it's not a crisis, go down to the border. You try and take care of four thousand people a day.
0: And Senator, finally, the, the President clearly agrees with you, and he said today, if they don't stop them, the Mexicans don't stop them. We are closing that border. I am not playing games. Yes or no? Should the border with Mexico be closed?
2: Mexico has to cooperate with us. Again, I don't know how you close the border they are parts of the border you can't even put Customs and Border Patrol in tribal lands. Yeah, obviously, you can close ports of entry, but that would be a, you know, certainly a self-inflicted wound on our economy as well. We have to fix this problem, Mexico, Central America. But right now, primarily Democrats have to step up the plate, recognize the problem, admit they have it, and work with us to solve it.
0: All right, Senator Ron Johnson, the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, Republican of Wisconsin, we appreciate you dialing in. Thank you, Senator. Have a great day. Uh, Catherine, I want to to broaden the discussion out to our ABC News contributor here and a former Mm -hmm. Homeland Security Undersecretary, John Cohen, because I want to start with this very important question, how you actually close the border and can the border just be closed by presidential directive? John, John Cohen, what is your take on that? Doesn't sound like, it doesn't, doesn't look like John is hearing us right now. We'll try to get back to him in a minute. But I do think that was an important distinction that Senator Johnson is making here. He said, quote, I don't know how you close the border. The president is making this threat as explicit as, as you can. And you have the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee saying, wait a second, maybe that's not exactly what you do.
1: Exactly. That was interesting. And, and the president says that he wants to do this as soon as next week, either the full border or portions of the border in, in a senior DHS officials said today that they're going to be submitting a plan, a path forward to do this to the president. But that's the question: What, what exactly do they do? What ports of entry do they close? And will that really make any difference?
0: That's right. And look, the, the numbers are the numbers, and we put them exactly. on the screen earlier. There's, there's definitely a growing number of migrants that are crossing. Mm-hmm. There's questions about who's responsible for that, or whether right. the president's policy is is part of the problem. There, mm-hmm. I am struck by this letter from the DHS secretary as well. Yeah. She calls it an urgent request, a dire. Situation and a system wide meltdown, and this appeal toward Congress, it seems like there's a public facing part of this appeal. They know that Congress isn't going to suddenly settle its differences and and provide these resources. A lot of these things that DHS is talking about doing, we actually thought they would do. I want to get back to John Mm -hmm. Cohen. I think we've got him now. But the question. TO YOU, JOHN, AS A FORMER DHS OFFICIAL, THE PRESIDENT IS TALKING ABOUT SHUTTING DOWN THE BORDER WITH MEXICO. IS THAT SOMETHING HE CAN ORDER? IS THAT SOMETHING THAT THE UNITED STATES GOVERNMENT THROUGH THE DHS OR OTHER AGENCIES IS PREPARED OR uh, ABLE TO ENFORCE?
3: WELL, uh, THE PRESIDENT OR DHS CAN SHUT DOWN THE PORTS OF ENTRY, BUT HISTORY TELLS US THAT SHUTTING DOWN OR CLOSING THE BORDER IS A TERRIBLE IDEA. It does nothing to stop the flow of illegal drugs into this country. It does nothing to stop the flow of illegal immigrants into this country. But what it does do is cause severe economic harm, because goods can't come to the United States from Mexico. Goods being shipped into Mexico cannot flow through the ports of entry. Uh, and uh, people who work on both sides of the border can't cross the border so they can get to their jobs. So it makes no sense from a security perspective, uh, because it doesn't address the problem. Uh, AND IT REALLY CAUSES SEVERE ECONOMIC HARM.
0: AND, and we, saw to, WE SAW KIND OF A DOUBLE BARREL TO THIS, THE PRESIDENT'S THREAT, BUT ALSO THIS PRETTY UNUSUAL LETTER FROM SECRETARY NIELSEN, THE SECRETARY OF HOMELAND SECURITY, TALKING ABOUT HER URGENT REQUEST, THE SYSTEM-WIDE MELTDOWN, uh, THE NEED FOR MORE RESOURCES. I, I, WHAT STRIKES YOU ABOUT THIS LETTER? A LOT OF THE THINGS THAT SHE'S TALKING ABOUT HERE, I FOR ONE THOUGHT THAT'S WHY THE NATIONAL EMERGENCY WAS DECLARED, THAT'S mm-hmm. WHAT DHS HAD ALREADY BEEN DOING IN TERMS OF SURGING RESOURCES TO THE BORDER.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have sort of, I have the same reaction. You know, Department of Homeland Security is an operational entity. It's intended to understand threats and other homeland security problems facing the U.S. It is, uh, it, it was designed and it's intended to be able to deal with extraordinarily, extraordinary circumstances. We've known for months that there was an increasing number of women and children and men seek, coming to this country seeking asylum. What we haven't seen is a operational response by the federal government to address the issue. The longer you go without addressing the issue operationally, the worse conditions are going to get. And I would just say, based on what, uh, to to respond to what the senator said earlier, the driving force behind this surge in part are conditions here in the United States, particularly uh, improvements in our economy. But the primary uh, reason why people are fleeing Central American countries are the conditions in those countries. That's what drives uh, people to leave their homes, that come to the US, U.S. to seek protection under asylum laws. So until we get a handle and help those countries address their, uh, their internal conditions, we're going to continue to see people uh, coming to the U.S. seeking protection.
0: And John Cohen, how much responsibility does this administration bear in your mind with, uh, for, for the surge in the fact that the policy has zigzagged like it has—the the po- the policy of separating minors from mm-hmm. their families? Of course, that was rescinded. It, it seemed to advertise to a lot of folks in Central America who were thinking about coming that there was a way to get into the United States. Is that, is that a factor at all in the uptick in your mind?
3: Right, I answer your question this way. Uh, Conditions have worsened at the southern border over the last two-and-a-half years. Conditions today are much worse than they were uh, when uh, the Obama administration uh, left office. So one can only look at the policies that are being placed being put into place today, the operational decisions that are being made along the southern border, uh, if they want to find the answer to why conditions are getting worse.
0: And we, dig, we dug into the archives a little bit. This is kind of interesting video from the mid-1980s when President Reagan shut down the border with Mexico. John, John Cohen, you mentioned uh, what that means, and we see these those cars just piled up at, at ports wow. of, of entry. Uh, so you seal off the border. What does that actually mean for people who work on one side or the other of the border, goods and services that travel pretty freely through this enormous border with an enormous trading partner?
3: during that time period i was working uh, as a narcotics officer in southern california um, and was dealing with transnational drug trafficking coming across the border what happened when we shut down the ports of entry when the administration the Reagan administration shut down the ports of entry in response to the killing of uh, a dea agent you literally had backups mile long produce was rotting in trucks materials that were needed in order to construct uh, you know, manufacture items couldn't get across the border. Workers couldn't get across the border to get to their jobs. Uh, it caused severe economic problems, and very quickly the administration learned that no matter how well intended the decision to close the border was, the harm to the United States was so significant that they had to reverse that decision.
0: All right, John Cohen, our ABC News contributor and a former DHS undersecretary, appreciate your perspective here on The Briefing Room. Thank you, sir.
3: Have a, have a good weekend, guys.
0: Uh, Catherine, a- another big headline mm-hmm. today out of Venezuela, potentially some some pretty encouraging news that the Red Cross is saying that it's going to be able to get its aid into Venezuela to help people directly. Uh, they're circumventing government distribution channels, we understand. I uh, want uh, to talk our, to uh, our expert on all things Venezuela, Kirat Radia, our foreign editor who spent some time in Venezuela not so long ago. Uh, Kirat, what's the importance of this development? Does it suggest that Uh, There's any end in sight for the political stalemate, the two governments that are still vying for recognition and and, and full control of the country, or is this
4: more about the people of Venezuela? Well, as you said, there is a lot of need in Venezuela. I don't know if this says anything about a political resolution, but certainly it's encouraging that the Red Cross says that they have permission from both sides to bring that aid into the country, both from the Maduro government and from the opposition. Now, while we haven't heard anything from the Maduro government saying that they've agreed to this, this would be the first thing that they've actually agreed to allow aid into the country If you may remember, it was only about a month or so ago uh, that the opposition tried to organize bringing all of that aid provided by the United States across the border from Colombia. And it was stopped by the Venezuelan military that blocked the borders, and there were all those clashes. So this would be very good news for all the people uh, in Venezuela who need urgent medical care. I mean, this is a place you mentioned. I was just there a few weeks ago. Um, where hospitals, you know, lack electricity, they lack basic medicine and supplies, even things like um, antiseptics and and, um, things that we would take for granted in any doctor's office here, you just can't get them in Venezuela. So there's a ton of need. As you mentioned, they're gonna try to go around uh, the official government distribution channels. And that has, uh, you know, that's for two reasons. One is that they can uh, avoid taking sides between the government and the opposition. But then also, uh, it avoids uh, the possibility of some of that aid being stolen and diverted to the black market, which is a big problem in Venezuela.
1: And in, in Kira, when is the earliest we will see medical, supply, uh, medical supplies arrive in, in Venezuela? How is this going to work?
4: Well, it remains to be seen exactly how it's going to work. I mean, the Red Cross hasn't released a lot of details yet, but uh, they have said that it's going to be the next couple days, uh, or within a week, I should say. Uh, The opposition suggested that it would be uh, by uh, this time next week, um, but we don't exactly know how that's going to happen yet. And, and, Kirit, uh, there's another headline
0: uh, out of Venezuela today that the Maduro reg- regime is welcoming Russian troops in. Now, they're saying this is only to provide some maintenance on things, but it's got some people on the United States side concerned. Uh, the, the, the National Security Advisor John Bolton among those who are warning that they'll be watching very closely. Is that a is that a sign that there could be more tensions now with additional Russian
4: forces on the ground? Yeah, this is something that's caught the, the U.S. Uh, eye. There was a... Um, a plane full of Russian military advisors and, and some, uh, some troops that, that uh, were spotted at the airport uh, a few days ago. And it raised a lot of questions about what sort of support the Russians are willing to provide to uh, the Venezuelans. There have been some strong warnings from the Americans about uh, not getting more involved in Venezuela. Um, it, now, the, the Russians have said, as you said, that, they, that they're there to do some maintenance work and to help. But there's a, a, a big strong warning from uh, Elliot Abrams, who's the U.S. Um, A a special envoy for Venezuela, uh, again, to the Russians not to get more involved militarily in Venezuela, um, which would obviously escalate that situation tremendously. All right. Our ABC News
0: Foreign Editor Kirat Radia, thank you for keeping us up to date on these uh, developments out of Venezuela. We appreciate it, Kirat. Thanks, guys. Um, THE 2020 CANDIDATES ARE OUT, they're, <laughs> about they're, this there's, there's, some, THERE'S SOME MOTION, THERE'S SOME MOVEMENT, AND uh, WE'VE GOT A GUY WITH HIM. ADAM KELSEY IS ON THE GROUND FOR US IN IOWA TODAY. HE'S IN Marshalltown, IOWA, WHERE ELIZABETH WARREN HAS JUST WRAPPED UP A CAMPAIGN EVENT. IT'S A, a BUSY COUPLE OF DAYS, uh, ADAM, AND I UNDERSTAND YOU'VE GOT A CHANCE to, TO ASK SENATOR WARREN ABOUT THIS, uh, this LATEST DEVELOPMENT, INCLUDING THE PRESIDENT'S uh, ASKING FOR THE BORDER TO BE CLOSED.
5: Yeah, that's right, Rick. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is someone who, giving some speeches, she really sticks to the script. She wants to talk about economic inequality. She wants to talk about health care and those types of issues. But as this news was breaking earlier today, she comes over and gaggles with the press. And I had the chance to ask her uh, about what was happening and the threats that President Trump was making at the southern border. And for Elizabeth Warren, she tries to put a human face on it. The comments that she made uh, refer to uh, the mothers who are trying to bring their children to the United States to pursue a better future. And I was so- somewhat struck by the way that it, it somewhat reflected the story that she tells during her stump speech. She talks a lot about her own mother who uh, went out and got a minimum wage job in her youth after her father got sick in order to support her family. So she's clearly trying to draw some parallels between what's happening at the border, the human toll, rather than the numbers of people working their way across the border, and what happened in her own life.
0: I think we've got that clip. If we can, uh, we can play it, and we'll get you to response the other side.
1: What the president has
3: threatened is not in line when a mama picks up her baby and flees violence and death threats, the United States listens. The president is playing a cheap political game that both undercuts our values as a nation and undercuts our economy. Not good.
0: Senator Warren calling it a cheap political game. And Adam, I know you're going to be in Iowa for the next couple of days. A big candidate forum tomorrow where a whole bunch of Democrats are there. And they, they I think, feel like they're suddenly have a lot of issues they want to talk about. Mueller is uh, very much old news from the Democratic script. And there's a lot of things uh, that are on the Democrats' agenda and on their minds these days.
5: Yeah, if it was up to the Democrats, they would talk about uh, nothing but health care. We saw that last year during the 28 mid- 2018 midterms. That was obviously news of day earlier in the week when President Trump said that the Republicans were going to be the party of health care. So I would expect to hear a lot about that at the Heartland Forum up in Storm Lake. That's where I'm going to be tomorrow. Not only is Elizabeth Warren going to be there, John Delaney, Tim Ryan, who's not yet a presidential candidate, but who seems to be working his way towards there, Amy Klobuchar as well. And I'm, I'm certain that we'll see more responses like Elizabeth Warren's to what the president said about the. The southern border. Again, trying to put a human face on it from the Democratic side of things, talking about the values that they have as Americans, rather than, as we saw from Ron Johnson earlier in the show, just the sheer numbers of people working their way over the border. So definitely interesting to hear some of these Democratic responses here in Iowa the rest of the weekend.
0: Yeah, and Beto O'Rourke kicking off his campaign in Texas in a big way this weekend as well. Adam Kelsey in Marshalltown, Iowa. Thank you, Adam, for checking in here on The Briefing Room. And, and Catherine, uh, let's talk about the 2020 on the other side. As the president was out of the campaign rally last night, and we understand that just in the next couple of minutes, he's going to be announcing a pretty big personnel shift.
1: Yeah, he sources are telling us that Linda McMahon, his small business administrator, is expected to resign. Uh, it came a little bit out of left field, but but what I'm told is that she's going to work on the fundraising effort um, for for the president's campaign. And just to put that in perspective, she donated a total of $6 million to one of his super PACs, Rebuilding America now, and um, in, in many millions of dollars to other uh, Republican organizations, the RNC, between uh, 2015 and 2016. So I, I think, and look, he's, he said he was going to make a, have a news conference about this. It's going to be more of a statement, which is a little odd. But I think that the president views her as somebody who is going to be helpful to him in 2020.
0: Yeah. Uh, Linda McMahon, someone who ran for Senate before, yep. also a part of the McMahon family, WWE, yes. where <laughs> Donald Trump was very famous before he got into the political world as it's well. True. So we'll watch that happen uh, in a little while. And finally tonight, we want to mark, uh, we want to mark some history. Uh, The Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, just today is celebrating something it's never done before in its history. It is graduating a group of agents, both male and female together, integrated for the last time. They are the last of the service branches to do so, uh, to have a boot camp that is integrated like that. Our Elizabeth McLaughlin is joining us now. Um, And Elizabeth, my first question is, what took so long? What took so long for the Marines to get to this, this, this place?
6: That's a great question, Rick. Well, basically, this is the first time the Marines have put men and women together into one company. But it's important to note that this is not total integration. This is really partial limited and it's not going to happen maybe until next year. So what happened here was the winter recruiting classes are a lot smaller. They have fewer uh, of these recruits coming in to Paris Island, which is where this graduation took place in South Carolina. So they said, "Hey, we can't have a full group of just segregated women. Why don't we throw some of them in a platoon-sized group of about 50 women and then integrate them into an all-male company." And so they lived in the barracks with the men, on they had their own floor, uh, but they were living in that same building. Went through the exact same training, which is. Both integrated and separated between men and women. And then they graduated today. It's about a 13 week boot camp. And the Marines said it it went well. I actually spoke to their company commander yesterday, who said the class was very competitive. He couldn't say whether they were really better or worse than any other company. And so now the Marines are going to assess how this training model worked. They said they will consider using it in the future. There won't be an opportunity in 2019, but this could be something they do again. And like you said, the the Army, the Air FORCE, THE NAVY, THEY ALL HAVE INTEGRATED BOOT camps. SO THE MARINES ARE THE LAST TO DO THIS. THEY HAVE THE FEWEST PERCENTAGE OF WOMEN IN THEIR RANKS, JUST ABOUT 9%. SO THIS IS A BIG DEAL FOR THEM. IT'S REALLY MAYBE A SMALL STEP IN TERMS OF TOTAL INTEGRATION. uh, BUT TO HAVE WOMEN GRADUATING IN WHAT WAS NORMALLY AN ALL-MALE BATTALION uh, IS A BIG DEAL TODAY HERE AT THE PENTAGON.
0: And does it have broader implications, I'm curious, in terms of how the Marines operate, how the Marine Corps operates from here? Did, did, obviously, there, there, there have been female Marines for a long time now, but does it matter operationally to have this integrated company that train together like this?
6: I don't think it will make a difference in the long run. And I actually spoke yesterday after the company commander spoke to a male and female recruit now uh, Marines, Private First Class, uh, about what they thought about training side by side. They really it doesn't phase them. They say, "Hey, I look at my brother and my sister uh, to get some tips, see how to do the training better, uh, to to maybe have a different technique when they're doing some of these physical training opportunities." Uh, They they respect each other, uh, but the, the training really hasn't changed. There are some parts of this where it is. MEN AND WOMEN WORKING TOGETHER SIDE-BY-SIDE, DOING THESE obstacle COURSES, MAYBE A PHYSICAL FITNESS TEST. THERE ARE OTHER PARTS THAT ARE STILL TOTALLY, uh, WHERE THEY'RE TOTALLY SEPARATED. Um, SO THE TRAINING ITSELF HASN'T CHANGED. I DON'T THINK WE'LL SEE THAT PLAY OUT ON THE BATTLEFIELD. Um, BUT YOU COULD SEE MAYBE IN THE FUTURE THE MARINES WILL DECIDE THAT THIS WENT PRETTY WELL. WE CAN SEE WOMEN uh, STAYING IN THESE all male COMPANIES. AND MAYBE THAT WILL LEAD TO MORE AND MORE AND MORE INTEGRATION.
0: All right. Good note to end uh, this Friday on. Elizabeth McLaughlin over at the Pentagon, thanks for keeping an eye on this for us. Appreciate it. Uh, and, and Catherine, uh, Catherine Folgers, uh, a, a lot happened this week when you think about it. Everything from it the, the, the Mueller report <laughs> was only a week, week. a week ago, <laughs> right about now that, it, that yeah. it came out. It does remind me at least how many different issues were likely to come up yes. before the next presidential election to see the quick turn to health care, the, the Special Olympics were talked about earlier in the week, mm-hmm. and now this crisis that's growing again on the southern border.
1: Yeah, you have to think, that, you know, Mueller, we've been obviously reporting on that for, for two and a half years now. It's, it's dominated the news coverage. But it, look, with the Obamacare decision from, from the administration that came out in the middle of the week, there was questions about the strategy and why not just revel in this molar win. But look, Democrats, at least Democrats that I was talking to on the Hill, view that as a win, um, the Obamacare decision. Now they can, what they say, is start talking about policies.
0: All right. And we move on.
1: We move on. Catherine Folders, <laughs>
0: thanks so much. Thank you for watching here on The Briefing Room. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. We'll be back Monday, right here in The Briefing Room.